I think today is a perfect message for Father's Day because we're looking at obstinate people. Even though our society does teach men, fathers tend to be kind of obstinate and clueless. It can often be true. And I'm sorry, ladies, but I have to admit it's true for all people, male, female, everybody. But it's also a good message for Father's Day because it helps point us to the Father. And as you know, we are in Mark chapter 10. We're starting in verse 32. And they were on the road going up to Jerusalem, and Jesus was walking ahead of them. And they were amazed, and those who followed were afraid. So we need to stop right away and ask, why are the people amazed and afraid? Are they possibly thinking about Jesus having just discussed with them how impossible it is to be saved unless God does it? Children, how difficult is it to enter the kingdom of God? Who then can be saved? Well, Jesus also told us what is impossible with God, or with man is possible with God. Let's reverse that. Come on, guys. But they could be thinking, wow, it's amazing. Only God can save us. Who can be saved. How do we do this? This is something that is amazing, but also, can I be saved? But like Jesus said, it's possible through God. It could be possible that they are amazed and scared because they see how resolutely Jesus is heading toward Jerusalem. In Luke chapter 9, It says, when the days drew near for him to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. And what it's saying here is, he was determined. He was looking to go somewhere. And I think of those war movies where you see the soldier who's about to go into battle. Jesus knows he is going to die. Think about those soldiers who know they're going into a situation. They might not come back. They've committed themselves to death. And that can be a scary look on a person's face. And Jesus knows he's going to die. And he's saying, let's go. It's time. This is also the passage where the disciples see the people not listening to Jesus and ask, should we call down fire from heaven on these people? To which Jesus said, no, calm yourselves. But they could be afraid too because, whoa, is Jesus going to call down fire from heaven on us because we disagree with him? Is it possible they're afraid because of Jesus' next words? And taking the twelve again, he began to tell them what was to happen to him, saying, We are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man 
will be delivered over to the chief priests and the scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles, and they will mock him and spit on him and flog him and kill him. And after three days, he will rise. Jesus explains to them his arrest, beating, and death, as well as his resurrection. So is it possible they're amazed at what is to come? But focusing on that, the Son of Man is going to die. How many times did they miss? And after three days, he will rise. We know they missed it because what happens just a couple weeks later? He dies. He's buried. What do the disciples do? Oh, no, he's dead. What are we going to do? Let's just go home. Let's just give up. And two weeks earlier, he's going to rise again. So are they amazed and afraid because they know Jesus is saying he's going to die? No one really knows for sure why they were all amazed and they were afraid, but we do see here that there are two groups. We know we have at least the 12, maybe some other disciples, but then there are others who followed. So it's probably a combination of all three of these things. Who can be saved? It is difficult, yet oh so easy, because we know all it takes is faith in Jesus Christ to be saved. They see Jesus with this look of determination to get to Jerusalem, And Jesus just told them, we're going to have some serious problems when we're in Jerusalem. Are they thinking to themselves, is the Messiah about to start that war that finally drives the pagans out of Israel and restores true worship in Jerusalem? Honestly, none of them could see what was coming, even with Jesus explaining it in such detail. And we know they don't know what's coming for two reasons. Because, as we're about to see, two apostles make a pretty bold request. And then we see an immediate healing of a man. So let's look at that first one. How do we know the apostles did not see clearly? Verse 35, And James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came up to him and said to him, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. How many times do we make demands of God? Especially without understanding what we're asking for. Because... And he said to them, what do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, grant us to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left, in your glory. Jesus said to them, you do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink or to be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized? And they said to him, we are able. And we know they're able because what is the cup he's about to drink? What is the baptism he's about to have? His death. And we know that at least 11 of the 12 apostles, even more if you count Judas, 
died. They were martyred for their faith in Christ. John may have died of natural death, of natural causes. So we know they were able, but Jesus said to them, the cup that I drink, you will drink. And the baptism with which I am baptized, you will be baptized. But to sit at my right hand or at my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared. And when the ten heard it, they began to be indignant at James and John. And Jesus called them to him and said to them, You know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. And their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be saved. to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. So we see James and John, and from Matthew 20, we know their mom, are clearly expecting Jesus to triumph and reign in Jerusalem. So they ask for these seats of power, (laughs) these seats of authority. They're expecting a quick and decisive victory over evil. And we do now know that definitely happens. Christ dies. Victory over sin. He rises. Victory over death. It's quick and decisive. It happens like that, but they can't see that yet. In fact, the ten become indignant at their audacity. Who do you think you are to try and take seats that we might want to. But at least they're looking at the coming glory of Jesus. They know his ultimate glory is coming soon. They knew and expected Jesus to be in glory, and they wanted to be with Jesus in glory. And shouldn't we all? But we can see they're not seeing the whole picture. They each know they can drink from the same cup as Jesus. But as usual, Jesus takes it deeper. He says, indeed, you will drink from my cup, be baptized with my baptism. But it is not as the rulers of this world understand ruling. For the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. So too are we as Christ followers, as Christians, called to serve each other. How? For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to offer his life as a ransom for many. As another apostle who would come along later put it in Philippians chapter 2, Starting in verse 3, do nothing from selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. And it goes on to talk about how he humbled himself to the point of dying on a cross. The creator of everything. became one of us to die a horrible, shameful death. 
how do we know the apostles were not seeing things this way, at least not yet? Because of how they treat somebody right after this. Verse 46, And they came to Jericho, and as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples and a great crowd, Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And many rebuked him, telling him to be silent. How is it a blind man can see what people who have been following Jesus for three years keep missing? For the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. Shh, quiet. The teacher has no time for somebody like you. He's busy doing important work. Don't distract him. But he cried out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. We said, quiet, stop. The teacher doesn't have time for somebody like you. But he knows, this blind man knows, this is the Son of God. This is my only chance. He cries all the louder, more urgently. And we still have apostles getting indignant at the audacity of somebody to ask something of Jesus. But notice what happens. Jesus stopped and said, call him. And what do they do? Shh, quiet, stop, wait, oh. Jesus said, call him. Uh, Hey, friend. The teacher would like to see you now. Come on over, nice, nice man. Take heart, get up. He is calling you. And throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and came to Jesus. He was so excited, he couldn't wait. And the blind man started running for Jesus. Jesus said to him, what do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said to him, Rabbi, Let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, Go your way. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him on the way. Notice how Jesus healed this man. Didn't lay a finger on him. Didn't even say, See. May your eyes be opened. Be healed. No. Go your way. Your faith has made you well. Didn't even speak to the specific need. Why? Maybe you remember a couple chapters ago, Jesus heals a blind man in Bethsaida. He spits in the man's eyes and covers his eyes and commands his eyes to be healed. And it takes a couple tries. It wasn't immediate. This time, he merely speaks, your faith has made you well, and he's healed. Like that. 
And personally, this reminds me of Moses during the Exodus. Moses, go strike the rock with your staff and water will come pouring forth. And then later, Moses, speak to the rock and water will come forth. But Moses sins and he strikes the rock with his staff again. Why is that important? For one will come from among you, a prophet greater than I. Here is that prophet Moses said was coming. Moses sinned. He was supposed to touch and then speak, but he messed up. Jesus touched and then spoke. Miracles, both times. But the greater prophet is here. He has finally come. But why do I reach us back to another blind man? Well, it's time for a mini lesson. I always thought it would be fun to teach at the college level. So now, you guys get to learn some literary slash biblical terms. And the first one is one of Caitlin's favorite words. That is pericope. It's fun to say. Everybody want to try it? Pericope. Pericope. Oh, come on, guys. Pericope. Pericope. See? It's kind of like supercalifragilisticexpialidocious. It's just fun to say. What is a pericope? It is an excerpt from a text that forms a complete thought. What does that mean? It means you could have a big story, but then inside that you have this little tiny bit. You could pull it out and you'll still get a complete story. So a pericope is a smaller part of a story that still tells a story. And we had three pericopes in our reading today. Jesus predicts his crucifixion. James and John make a big request. And then finally the healing of Bartimaeus. But it's these three pericopes in a greater thing that we want to look at. So our next term is chiastic structure. Another fun word to say, right? Who wants to say chiastic? Chiastic. Yeah, not as fun, I know. But what is chiastic structure? It is a poetic writing style that flows. It makes a big arc. Anybody know why I chose arc? talk about? Because of God's promise with the rainbow. So we see God's promises. But it's a poetic writing style that flows. It makes an arc or a circle so that themes are repeated. First in one order and then in the reverse order. And don't you love how clearly it shows up on the screen? But I chose Genesis 9-6. The promise that God will never flood the earth again, where he says, whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. And you can see how it starts with sheds, ends with shed. So you have this mirroring effect. Whoever sheds, A. The blood, B. Of man, C. By man, the mirror, shall his blood be shed. This is a chiastic structure. And sometimes there's a hinge that everything swings around. And a good example of this is from Proverbs 31. The wife of noble character, the righteous woman, whatever you want to call it. Proverbs 31, 10 through 31 extols the virtues of a godly woman following this chiastic structure. And then basically right in the middle, verse 23 is a verse about 
her husband. Her husband is known in the gates when he sits among the elders of the land. It's a hinge. Look at all these things that a righteous woman does. To support her husband who supports her as she does all of these things. But the greatest chiasmus is the entire Bible. From beginning to end, Genesis to Revelation, we see creation, we see the fall into sin, we see the spread of sin. And what's our hinge? Christ's life, death, and resurrection. It all points to Christ. Because whereas we have paradise lost and sin before he comes, what comes afterward? You can all read that, right? After Christ's life, death, and resurrection, we have not the spread of sin, the spread of the gospel. And after the spread of the gospel, we have Christ's return and final redemption from sin until finally we have paradise restored. So the entire Bible is this poetic writing device. But what does that have to do with today? Well, I went back to a blind man who was healed after finishing with a blind man who was healed. So our big chiasmus from Mark starts with a blind man that moves to a confession of who Christ is. We know you are the king of glory that leads to Christ's first foretelling of his death and resurrection. But we also see Peter tempting Jesus. Oh, God forbid you ever die, Lord. Get behind me, Satan. But then it goes into the transfiguration. We see the Son of Glory. We see He is God's true Son. And He comes down off that mountain. We see that Christ is greater than spirits. And He heals a child. And then we get our big hinge. Christ's second foretelling of His crucifixion, His death, His resurrection. And what happens right after that? His disciples argue, who's the greatest? And Jesus says, you have to be like a child. You have to have faith. You have to trust. And it goes into those who tempt others to sin and turn from God's truth. Instead of pointing to God's glory, are already lost. Instead, therefore... Excuse me. We see Christ's third and final foretelling of his death and resurrection, which leads right back into we know you're the glorious one. We've seen the evidence, we know it's true, we want to be with you in glory. It's another confession, albeit through a selfish kind of request. Pointing back to a blind man being healed. So what? Who cares? What's the point of all of this? What is Mark trying to tell us? What is God telling us through Mark? Mark is pointing out to us how blind each of us are 
to God's truth. How many times did Jesus tell them he was going to die and be resurrected? Three explicit times. Here it is, guys. Son of Man is going to be put to death. He's going to be mocked and beaten and crucified. And he will be buried in the ground. But don't worry, after three days he'll rise again. And they still missed it. We need God to reveal himself to us. Because we tend to think we know better. We tend to think we understand things better. Or we think that truth can't be known. Or we think that truth is relative. It's up to each person to decide. But Mark is showing us that, no. These pericopes show that Jesus came to work, to serve others to the point of his own death. We start with the Son of God showing he is the creator and healer by healing a blind man. And we can easily confess Christ as the Son of God while not seeing who he really is. And then Jesus predicts his death. And after the failure of the apostles to catch on, He predicts it again. It's that hinge reminding us to innocently believe in him and not distract others from the truth. So he predicts it again to really drive the point home how blind we are to truth by healing a blind man. And he doesn't do it the same way as before. He doesn't touch the guy. He only uses his words. And people still miss it. Blindness, revelation, we mess up. Revelation, we mess up. Revelation, blindness. We foresee Christ's passion in the midst of our pride and persistence to think we have it all figured out. And fortunately, he is more persistent than we are. We're persistent in our pride, in our arrogance. He's persistent in his love. He sees us where we are and says, I'm not leaving you there. You can fight back against me all you want. You can deny the truth I am telling you. You can overlook all these things I have been doing. But I'm still coming for you. And then that motivates us to be more persistent. Hopefully, in following him and listening to him. It can be awesome and intimidating to think that the creator and sustainer of the entire universe is coming after us. And we can get stuck in thinking he's coming after us to punish us. If we don't put our faith in Christ, punishment's coming. But it's because of His love for us. It's because of the Father's glory that Jesus came for us. So that as God persistently chases after us, it's not to punish us, it's to save us. So like Isaiah 55.8 says, we can't even begin to understand God and His ways. But we can ask Him to open up our eyes see the work he is doing. 
We can look to our Savior and see that our Maker and Savior has come to set the example of how to serve others with sacrificial love and service. With compassion for all people, even those we disagree with. We can see that He is the God who heals. He may not heal us physically now in this life. But because of Christ's resurrection, we have the hope of an eternity free of pain and suffering and fear. This is what Christ has been trying to tell us. We should be zealous for a God who saw us in our pride and misunderstandings and misapplications and making our own demands and yet loved us enough to come and die for us and open our eyes to his truth and forgive us. How then should we live? How do we treat people? How do we treat God? It can be so easy to get upset with others when we think they're wrong. We can get indignant with their seemingly overblown sense of passion for something we don't care about. Or that they're interfering with important matters, getting in the way. They're not doing what God called me to do. Who do they think they are? Do we remember that sometimes, probably many times, we can each be that seemingly overblown interfering person? How much like the apostles are we? We need to remind ourselves that we don't know everything. But we know the one who does. We know the one who knows and sees each person, their circumstances, their lives. We need to ask him to open our eyes to what he is doing in their lives and our own. We need to ask him to reveal our own blindness toward others, toward ourselves, toward his own glory. We need to be passionate about the things of God, to want to do the Father's work in the name of Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit. We need to read his word. We need to get into the Bible individually reading not just a verse here and there, but whole passages, whole books, eventually the whole thing. We should be doing this with groups, small groups, Bible studies, maybe even watching YouTube videos. I have a channel. Um, We also meet as a church, being willing to learn what he has revealed through the scriptures, listening to those who have put in the time the effort, the energy to really study this, to learn everything that they can to become teachers and pastors, but always comparing what is said and written to God's Word. Another term for you guys, sola scriptura. Scripture alone. Does it agree with Scripture? If a teaching doesn't agree with this book, it's worthless. Sounds harsh, but if
if it doesn't agree with this, it leads us away from God. So we should be like the Bereans in Acts chapter 17, testing everything with what God has already told us. And we need to be telling others the truth of Christ. It shows we truly believe that this was the promised Messiah, the Son of David, the Son of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is how we acknowledge His glory. We should be people who are passionate about sharing Christ with the world. What did blind Bartimaeus do? He learned to see and then he followed them on the way. How do we know he stayed with Jesus from this point on? We know his name. He was somebody the early church knew. So we should be people who are unable and unwilling to be told to be quiet about what our God has done for us. We should be the people who can't help but be persistent in getting out there and telling everybody, here is our great healer God. We live in a fallen, broken world. We are the people with the answer. We have a great heavenly Father who saw us in our sin, in our brokenness, in our pain, in our suffering, in our rejection, and said, I'm not going to leave you there. Here is my son. You're pushing me away. I am chasing you down. He sent his son to be condemned, to be mocked, beaten, spit on, killed. And it is a reminder for us that in Christ we are reunited with God. We are made one in the body of Christ. Which points us to the sign of our new covenant. Because the blood that made us clean is that sign. The body that was broken for us is what can make us whole. Our Father said, you've rejected me. Turn to me. Because through my Son, I can make you whole. And as we take the elements of communion, we join in with 2,000 years of other believers. We are all united in Christ. And as a church, we do pretty much teach This is a symbol. But we also admit we don't understand this. We don't know how God's grace comes to us through a symbol. But through this, Christ reminds us we are united to each other and to God through the one who died for us. So we remind ourselves of this truth when we remember that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread and when he had given thanks he broke it and said this is my body which is for you do this in remembrance of me take and eat
In the same way, he also took up the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Take and drink. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that you are a God who is not content to leave us alone, who has the power and the right to take us out of this world. But instead, you sent your Son to die for us. You showed us just how deep your love is that while we mocked you, spit in your face, and sent you to a cross, as our sin held you there, you still said, I love you. And I am coming for you. I am making a way for us to be together again. So we thank you for the gift of your Son. We thank you that you are our good, good Father who does away with our sins, who doesn't leave us where we were, but lifts us up, calls us to follow, makes us clean, makes us whole, and has given us a promise that he is coming for us again. Help us to remember this truth. Help us to be a people passionate about this truth that we can't help but cry out, this is Jesus, the Son of David, the Son of God, who has mercy on us. Help us carry your name into a lost, dark, broken world. Remind them of the truth that you love us and you gave us the gift of your Son. And all we have to do is believe in that gift, that life, that death, that resurrection of Jesus Christ. So we thank you for this gift. And as we give our gifts back to you, we thank you for what you have given us in every area of life. Ask that you bless our gifts to strengthen your kingdom And in all things, we ask that you help us remember you are always with us, even to the end of the age. We thank you for all our fathers and everybody else in our lives, those who point us to the Heavenly Father. We just thank you for all you've done for us. In Jesus' name, amen.